0: The Police Box in the Junkyard podcast is a proud member of Direction Point, a Doctor Who podcast network. Hello,
1: Z. I'm sorry. It's French. Well, let's go.
2: This is the Police Box in the Junkyard podcast. On this podcast, we travel all of time and space, discussing Doctor Who in a completely random order.
1: It's a brilliant idea.
2: It's so simple, only you could have thought of it. Oh. I'm the Doctor. These are my new best friends. It's the entire universe on Shuffle with your hosts.
3: Eric Goldbranson. Asad Heshke. And Matthew Kressel. I'm the Doctor, and if there's one thing I can do, it's talk. There's something you better
2: understand about me, because it's important. And one day, your life may depend on it. I am definitely a madman with a
3: box. And so now we're getting somewhere. More like a big ball of wibbly wobbly, himey wimey stuff. Yeah. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the Police Box in the Junkyard podcast. I'm your host, Eric O'Branson. Branson. Uh, with me, as always, my fine TARDIS crew, Mr. Asad Keski and Mr. Matthew Kressel. How's Good. it going tonight, guys? Good. Welcome yeah. back, and uh, it's always a pleasure to get together and talk Doctor Who with you guys. So, I, uh, yep. It's... Um, It feels like it's been a while since we've talked but probably because we uh talked a whole lot for a few (laughs) weeks there with uh doing recordings and doing the uh convention in chicago and yeah it was uh but yeah it feels like it's been a while since we've done a show it does not feel like it's been a while since i've edited shows because i just finally caught up with all the editing and our um last show just came out the other day so on the 23rd uh i decided that's gonna be my for now i'm not i'm not gonna set that in stone but that's my monthly uh show release date now is the 23rd of the month so
1: I just, it's appropriate so yes, yeah that's maybe. what i
3: figured i figured if i had to pick it one date every month that was a good day so um but yeah so um well anything uh new with you guys especially anything new in the world of doctor who that you've uh been checking out or want to tell us about
1: well, not strictly Doctor Who related, but since we recorded, I think, back in December, I'm trying to remember exactly when we recorded, um, I did find out that I won the Sidewise in Time Award.
3: Oh, I knew you were nominated. I don't know how I missed that you had won, but congratulations. Yeah.
1: Congratulations. Thank you. I'm awesome. still waiting on them to send me my plaque. Um, <laughs> yeah, I I, I made the decision not to go to WorldCon, which was being held in DC this year or last year. Now that, <laughs> dear good grief, we're already a full month into 2022. Yeah, can't believe it. Yeah, and almost instantly regretted it because I got a because I didn't expect to win, if I'm honest. And I got a <laughs> message on Saturday afternoon saying, "Congrat, you won! Congratulations!" And I'm like, "Well, this is what I get for not going." <laughs>
3: Yeah, had you traveled all the way there, maybe things would have been different. That's the way it always goes, right? <laughs>
1: That's how it feels anyway. <laughs> yeah.
3: Well, yeah, but congratulations. I, that was exciting. Even when I saw you were nominated and to have won the award is even even cooler. So thank yeah. you. So um did you you had something uh or maybe no, it was an anniversary of a piece that came out. I was gonna say, did you have a new piece that came out, uh fiction recently? But no, I think you were it was the year anniversary maybe of one of your
1: well, the year anniversary was for the story that got nominated and won, okay. uh, Sidewise. Yeah, yeah. But just before Christmas, I had a I had a new story come out in a, a Sea Lion Press's alternate history anthology called, of all things, Aloe Americana,
3: mm-hmm.
1: um, which was kind of imagining folklore and an urban legend specific to here in the U.S. Um, so I did a I did a twist on DB Cooper uh, hijacking a uh, right. dystopic Richard Nixon's yeah. Air Force One. so if you if you want to read that uh you can get it on kindle at the moment
3: yeah very cool and yeah um go check out all all your stuff on kindle um just search for uh, matthew kressel and it's it's all very affordable and all very good worthwhile stuff so i I encourage everyone to go and check that out asad is anything up with you
0: sorry i didn't <laughs> no, no no not that nothing nothing even like a, a quarter as exciting <laughs> yeah uh, i got a notification i was i put in for a uh, alert for the, the that book the long game about uh by paul hayes about the return of doctor who in 2005 mm-hmm. and all this build up to it and uh Got the alert that it was back in stock and book depository but when i went there it was said it was out of stock again so oh. they had a big wait. so i once again asked to be
3: notified when it's back in stock it's probably got like five copies you know yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm i got a couple of books i'm like hunting and waiting to get my hands on that i haven't been able to well I mean, they're totally available through the, they they're both tell us publishing books and they're totally available to me through ordering from through, through telos if I want to, but they're uh, and, and I, this is not meant as any kind of a dig at the company. I know that shipping rates are right. insane and it's, it's not their fault whatsoever, but the, the, the shipping costs can be prohibitive. So maybe once the, there's another one coming out, I want to check out, I think in March or April, and maybe with three of them, I can justify the cost of shipping them here. And I'll just order them, but it would be nice if a U.S. retailer would uh, order big amounts of those, but
0: uh. <laughs> a new bunch of target novelizations coming out in the middle of the year. So that's exciting.
3: Yeah, yes I read that it's very exciting i I've, the couple of uh new new target books that i've read i 've been pretty happy with or impressed with so
0: and now we take a quick break to let you know about some other
3: excellent podcasts that you should check out say, Who? Who do you collect Doctor Who? do you have Doctor Who items and you don't know you collect Doctor Who? For all things in the Doctor Who collecting world, tune in to the Doctor Who Collectors Podcast, a Direction Point Network podcast.
1: I am Larry Van and your host, and I have been collecting Doctor Who for 40 years. With a popular feature like collection protection and the most outrageous offer, there's a lot of fun to be had. We're available anywhere you get your podcasts. You're listening
3: to the Police Box in a Junkyard Podcast, a Direction Point Network podcast.
1: Are you ready to travel through time with us? then check out Traveling the Vortex, a Doctor Who podcast. For nearly seven years and more than 500 episodes, we've traveled from one end of the vortex to the other, making different stops with different doctors, Reviewing everything from TV stories to audio plays, from books to comics, and more. Sean, Keith, and Glenn take you on a journey through 50-plus years of Doctor Who episodes and spinoff materials. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts, so be sure to check us out.
3: And now, we're a proud member of Direction Point, a Doctor Who podcast network.
1: You're listening to Police Box in the Junkyard Podcast.
3: So yeah, I don't think we've had a chance to talk um, pretty much at all, besides a a couple of texts we exchanged um, about the Doctor Who New Year's special, The Eve of the Daleks. So maybe we take a couple minutes and uh, talk about that real quick and before we dive into uh, our audio story that we're going to cover today. But um, I assume you guys have seen Eve of the Daleks at at this point, and um, what are your... I don't know. Thought brief thoughts and impressions on the episode. Do you guys enjoy it, or um, yeah, how do you feel?
0: Um, yeah, I, I thought it was very entertaining, um, pretty funny. Um, as has been pointed out at various places, uh, Nick is uh, pretty creepy. <laughs> it's not so yeah. it's more creepy than cute. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think kind of the only thing that uh, comes out is that that one of my thoughts was that it's almost time for. Chibnall and uh, Jody to be leaving the show, so and they still have seem to have a lot of balls in the air left over from Flux, and it's just surprising that it wasn't really nothing was really addressed at all. And okay, maybe maybe again maybe that's just my thought that surely there must be more to like the division than what we've seen, and there's unceremonious removal from the scene and yeah. flux but maybe there isn't
3: i don't know
1: <laughs> yeah. i mean to be fair classic who was always introducing huge concepts and never coming back to them either so you know in, in that regard i think chibnall's picking up from classic who and there's two more specials left as we've talked yeah. about and yeah you know we do have the it's not it's not people keep calling it the dr who centenary special and it's not it's the bbc centenary special for dr who <laughs> um, I think if there's going to be a place where is going to go in and, and address the division and some of these, you know, hanging threads, um, it'll be there, you know, just because it's going to be a big event and people are going to be watching. Um, but I, I, for the most part, I enjoyed Eve. I, You know, I didn't necessarily catch on to Nick being quite as creepy as as other people have found him on first viewing, but having seen it a second time with some of the commentary in the back of my head, it's kind of like, oh, yeah. Um, but on the whole, I mean, it was, it was a lot of, it was a lot of fun. It it is, you know, Doctor Who doing Groundhog Day is always a good thing to kind of see. And I'm a big fan of Ashley B anyways, Mm -hmm. as a, as, as a comedian. So getting to see her in Doctor Who was a bit of a thrill anyway. So it was just a lot of fun um i think you know i think we've gotten used to the idea that everything's going to be kind of big and epic and everything's got to feed into everything so it is nice to kind of have these kind of more standalone pieces from time to time if in fact you know gentle doesn't turn around later and reveal that standalone's not standalone
3: yes well we always have that thread i think with modern modern who no matter who's writing it so it's just a it's in the dna of the show now but um no i agree i i think that's the thing i enjoyed the most about it is that it was just kind of a relatively like light fun episode that wasn't like real continuity heavy um yeah ashley b is is great in it and i i started a place where i'd seen her before in other things uh but i remember enjoying her in, in something and i actually think it was in an american series with paul rudd the the cloning one that i can't remember the name of now but um but was, she was kind of an interesting pairing in in that, but she was, she was good, but yeah, no, I, I enjoyed her a lot and I did find Nick to be a little bit creepy. Um, (laughs) Not to the point where it totally ruined it for me, but I thought like, I'm like Chris Chibnall from a writer's standpoint, must think that this is more endearing than creepy, but it's coming off as a little bit creepy. And it it was mainly the fact that the guy had rented, I mean, he we get to the to, towards the end to get the impression that he rented the storage unit so that he could keep coming and talking to um what's the her character, Asling B's character's name. I don't even remember, but um <laughs> but anyway, talking, talking to the to her. And um, but he like was keeping, you know, little trinkets and what what I kind of mm-hmm. referred to as like a little serial killer collection, trophy collection from his ex-girlfriends, which is definitely a little weird. <laughs> um yeah anyway everything else he did was kind of, of for yeah we've
0: reached this point of revision where i think now most people agree that love actually is
3: also more stalkery than cute so, <laughs> so I think to keep in mind. <laughs> that's true yeah but um but yeah no overall i thought it was fun i had fun with it the yeah. the, right, the right, humor right. light humorous light nature of it worked really well it was cool good good holiday special so yeah so, yeah, unless you guys have anything else that you wanted to f- fill us in about or news, I guess we can dive right into uh this month's um Doctor Who story that we're gonna talk about. And that is uh the Doctor Who Destiny of the Doctor, Death's Deal
2: Mayday, Mayday. This is Merchant Vessel Caliban requesting assistance. We are down and disabled on Death's Deal. Please respond. John and Noble swerved out of the way as a madman in a brown pinstripe suit dashed around the TARDIS console. Can you find them? Trying. Masses of interference, said the Doctor. They'd landed in a valley that was sand and shingle underfoot. Surrounding them were wind-carved mountains looking like a sunset of solid cloud. A thick grey sky hung above. It felt humid and smelt of damp. It's the middle of nowhere, the Doctor patted the blue box. Why have you landed us here, eh? Donna. Donna? I'm okay. We're both okay. Donna, I can't reach you. The doctor looked off. There's no time to reach you. They're coming. We'll find a way out. I'll be okay, Doctor. Go and find Erskine. Do do what you need to do. I'll look for the TARDIS. Make myself useful. The doctor smiled. Like always, Donna Noble. What are you looking at? Those weird mountains. They're not mountains, said the Doctor. They're giant coral, humid climate, acid rain. This planet is one massive reef of land coral, alive and always hungry. No wonder it's called the deadliest planet in the galaxy. Doctor Who, Death Deal by Darren Jones, performed by Catherine Tate with Duncan Wisby as Crux and Erskine and is a Big Finish production for Audio Go.
3: And uh, this was part of the collection um, that came out in celebration of the 50th anniversary that was a co-production between Big Finish Productions and a company called Audio Go, which I believe was affiliated with the BBC in some way and Matthew you happen to know the uh details of I know audio go is defunct now correct like they were yeah they, audio, they went yeah. out of business during this process of releasing this stuff I yeah think.
1: audio go went defunct not long after this one came out and it became and still trying to track this one down on CD is still a bit of a collector's item for that mm-hmm. reason mm-hmm. um but audio go was it was affiliated with the BBC and the respect that the BBC had always had had this originally dating back to vinyl record days releasing BBC material on the vinyl record and eventually Actually, that had passed into private hands through a couple of corporate interests. So AudioGo ended up taking over from, I think it was BBC Audio for a while, and apparently ran into some financial issues and liquidation and insert random you know business phrase here um, while the series was going out. But thankfully, Big Finish had, had actually worked the deal out in such a way that they were able to continue releasing them on download and eventually on CD, though the CDs for all of them, I think, are out of print at this point.
3: Yeah. I know I, I had to pay, um, not a lot. It was reasonable, but it was, you know, a little more expensive than other used doctor who audio CDs than, uh, for this one. But so I do have a copy of it on CD, but, um, so, Death's Deal was written by Darren Jones and uh, performed in audiobook style with some extra production elements. But the uh, performed by Catherine Tate, you know, as we know, uh, played uh, Donna Noble in the fourth series of Doctor Who opposite David Tennant. Uh, and it also stars Duncan Wisby as some uh, extra uh, characters here and there. He plays two or three of the other um, characters. And I think just to kind of give Catherine Tate some relief of having to do. You know, so many different voices and characters throughout. Um, Let's get you guys a little uh, quick um, synopsis of this one. Uh, Responding to multiple maydays, the TARDIS lands on the planet of Death's Deal, but the distress calls are old, the final echoes of terrified lost souls. This is an exotic world of lethal creatures nicknamed the deadliest planet in the galaxy, and only the brave, foolhardy, or greedy would ever dare to visit. Finding themselves stranded among a motley bunch of space tourists, the Dr. Donna must lead a struggle for survival against the, f- the frenzied wildlife as they slowly realize that other members of the group have very different agendas. And soon the doctor learns of an even bigger threat hiding on death's deal. Somewhere deep below the surface is some something that must never be unearthed. Time is running out and only an impossible survivor holds the key. So That gives you a little taste of... Um, what that one's all about. Also, it's, it's although I find very tangentially tied into a larger arc that this entire 50th anniversary uh, Destiny of the Doctor series has. And I, I've, I've heard some of these, but not all of them, which probably hurts my understanding of how exactly they're tied together. But um, I can remember most of them being pretty lightly tied together like they just just happen to like cross paths where there'll be a message or something or something for another one of the doc well the 11th doctor he's collecting all of them and he makes an appearance and in all of them if i remember correctly but
1: yeah, it's, it was kind of a weird thing they did. Simon Gurrier wrote the second Doctor one, and he revealed in an interview that the original plan was Smith was going to come in and actually play the 11th Doctor in all of them, sort of dropping in, making appearances, and then he was going to narrate the very last one. And I know Gurrier says he did a couple of drafts that way, and all of a sudden something happened, and Smith suddenly couldn't do it, didn't want to do it. Who knows? Um, so everybody had to go back and rewrite their stories at the last minute. I will say I have heard all of them. Um, it was a very long time ago because we did the entire run on Stories from the Vortex when it was still running. I think we did them in 2014, 2015. And yeah. it I, I can't say from my memories of it that it actually resolved in a way that made a lick of sense. <laughs> um yeah. that they resolved it i don't know they'll remember them resolving it very well but they definitely resolved it
0: i also listened to the whole uh series and for the most part it, everything was fine i think the only one that i really thought stood out was the fourth doctor is so the one the Sphere.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: and uh but yeah i could not i could not for the life of me remember how everything tied <laughs> together so just a little while back i went and looked on the tardis uh wikipedia and that has at the end for the last story it gives the total explanation about how everything tied in yeah how all the little clues that the doctor left in the past for his uh, prior selves
3: everything sort of fell into place yeah and i'm not sure i've ever heard the last one so that's why i probably don't really (laughs) put put the pieces together um i do i know i've heard two or three maybe even four of these. The only one I really remember is the Ninth Doctor, the Night of the Whisper. I've heard a couple of times and I'm not sure why. I think it was just on my player and I just randomly listened to it a second time. But uh,
1: yeah, that's anyway, that's that that one, one of the better ones from the series. Yeah. I know I would agree with the SOD. I think Babel Spear is probably the best of them. I'm very fond of Enemy Aliens, which was the eighth Doctor one that India Fisher, uh, Charlie Pollard read, mm-hmm. which was one, which was I think was the first time that a Big Finish character had appeared outside of Big Finish. Um, so that was interesting from that point of view and India Fisher is a great reader anyways, but yeah, it was, it was a mixed bag of a series, at least, at least in my opinion, from my memories of listening to it. Yeah.
3: So this was my first time with visiting death's deal. So, um, yeah, I just, so like at the time of when this came out, like we're, we're celebrating the 50th anniversary of Dr. Who, and it's uh, one of the many big celebratory pieces that came out. Um, in, in, in celebration of that, I feel like this one didn't get a whole lot of attention and maybe it was kind of dwarfed by all of the other, you know, big event things going on, uh, including big Finish's own 50th anniversary piece, the 50th anniversary special, the five ish doctors, the plethora of documentary material, et cetera, that we got that year, this one kind of fell by the wayside and I didn't really start listening to them till later, uh, a year later, six months later or something, but didn't get to them at the time of the 50th. Um, at the time when this came out, I think this TARDIS team, the doctor and Donna still were, um, considered to be, you know, one of the more pop, most popular, uh, teams in, that have, you know, been in the TARDIS, especially in the modern show. And they were a little more, you know, at the time when this came out a little more recent in our memory. Um, what do you think this story does for them and does it does it do them justice and uh how are, how are they characterized um did you enjoy them
0: <laughs> i enjoyed it i think the characterization comes out uh, pretty consistent with the uh, what we see on the uh on the tv show so i'm not sure it adds anything as such but
1: yeah, I'm pretty much good, was pretty much going to say the exact same thing as Saw did. I, in terms of characterization, everybody's kind of recognizable as as who they are. You know, uh, Donna obviously, when you have Catherine Tate there reading it and playing that part, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, do I? It doesn't really add anything, which is, I guess, my kind of complaint about it. And that's, tr- I think, going back talking about Destiny as a as a series at large, that was kind of the problem with Destiny is is that it everything was just kind of capturing the flavor of that era in a single disc and it was it didn't leave a whole lot of room to do much that was new or exciting with um and it does feel very much it feels like they could have plucked them straight out of 2008 which is you know both both to its uh to its credit and also to its shame to some extent yeah
3: now I feel the same I think that uh Darren Jones does a good job of writing these characters and obviously Catherine Tate is strongest when reading Donna or you know narrating in her own voice or reading Donna her, her performance is spot on it's like she jumps right back into that no problem um her reading of the doctor is a little less convincing but um but character-wise like the way the voices that they're written in by by the author I think he does a good job handling these characters and yeah it's just it could have been an adventure straight out of series four um it's pretty kind of standard doctor who stuff uh the two of them um don't spend a lot of time in the story together it does this the kind of typical separate the doctor and the companion early in the piece and they each kind of have their own adventure coming together again at the end but yeah i mean i think i have got to i'm gonna agree 100 with you guys it's it's they do a good job of characterizing them but they don't do much with the characters other than you know your typical uh show up and save the day Kind of uh story there's not a whole lot of progression for either of them maybe donna is a little more sympathetic towards uh alien uh creatures after this uh <laughs> the time she spends with uh crux in this but um yeah and i guess that, that that was my next question that i was gonna um bring up to it do you think this is um story-wise is this kind of a uh, too typical doctor who fair is there anything new and exciting here or is it just kind of a bunch of familiar elements kind of recycled and restacked um you know deadly planet tourist groups space pirates there being like a lone survivor godlike creatures on the planet an evil big business of uh, like aristocracy kind of in the background all of these things are things that we've seen you know many times and um Yeah. I guess I'll let you guys talk about, uh, is there anything, anything new here?
0: (laughs) Scarrow might take exception to this whole thing about what's the deadliest planet in the galaxy. Excuse me. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, but yeah, thank you. That's a pretty good point. It's pretty much a grab bag of uh, a lot of uh, things that we've seen. I think if anything, the company is probably the most extraneous thing that sort Mm -hmm. of is just sort of, mentioned now and then and then disposed of at the end very
3: quickly Um, yeah i almost didn't even pick up on that being like a major plot point until my second listen through (laughs) like it's 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 almost a non-event even though it's kind of important to the story but
1: yeah i mean it's it is does feel like somebody took a doctor who uh, mad libs page (laughs) and said let's make a story out of it because it is just this kind of fairly random assortment of traditional Doctor Who elements all thrown together and it does as I said earlier it it does very much feel like it's an episode from 2008 there's the sort of bits and elements you know all the stuff underground could come from you know Martha in The Doctor's Daughter for example Mm -hmm. um I think that there's things that they can do on audio that they'd have a hard time doing on TV I think Crux is a as a character in the way he's written in the way he's presented uh, would be a, would be tough i think even for the production team now if you know what are we 10 13 years on from when that w- would have been making this if if yeah. they had made it on screen of course um but i think there's there's just not a whole lot that's kind of new here and you know parts of it feel very third doctor rather than 10th doctor um you know the whole eco thriller element that's going mm-hmm. on in it as well and you know the evil corporation which is you know, it's just very much a Malcolm Hulk trope that, you know, keeps reoccurring in Doctor Who. It's it's nothing particularly new or exciting, though. But then again, I think that's true of almost everything that was in this the Destiny series, which it yeah. kind of makes you wonder who they were aiming the series at, because for anybody who was buying Doctor Who on audio would be, you know, probably coming from listening to Big Finish. Um, and a lot of the writers who worked on these I don't think Darren Jones had written for Big Finish, but a lot of the writers had. And it just kind of makes you wonder who they were aiming the series at because, you know, people who, as I said, who had listened to Big Finish are going to, you know, come in, I think, with slightly higher expectations. Maybe they were hoping to grab, you know, new people, especially with somebody like Catherine Tate and um, I think it was Jenna Coleman read the 11th Doctor one, you know, coming in. So it would be something slightly different from your your typical Big Finish crowd.
3: Yeah, I mean, just, and I I, I don't know for sure, but just, assuming that they were hoping to grab some new you know by tying it into the 50th and doing um because i believe at the time big finish was had not gotten the permissions to do things with the modern series yet uh which would shortly follow but yeah. um so probably a way to get them you know get new listeners interested in the the classic continuing adventures of the classic doctors uh by tying it into the new
1: yeah new i show. think there was sorry.
3: Oh, no, I was going to say, but I'm not sure. I, I think doing something like this, I'd like like, like we, we talked about last time um, with uh, Blood of the Daleks is like, there's such thing as a greatest hit story that works because it's fun and it's, you know, full of like the good kind of fan service that, you know, um, it, it, it kind of just reminds you of kind of your favorite elements of the show and what you like about it. And then there's the, you know, there's the, the other side of the coin and there's the greatest hits kind of show that, doesn't really do it as much it just seems kind of like it's pulling you know those elements and when you could kind of pick through the whole piece and say well this is just like what they did in this episode but i like that episode better and when that's that case in every case it starts to be like "Eh." (laughs) not sure (laughs) where they were going with it but yeah
0: it might have made sense if that but guys they didn't like broadcast this
1: on the radio right like they had no these were these were straight to cd and download Yeah. so. so But yeah, there was there was still the very firm division that basically anything classic who outside of the target novelization audiobooks were done by Big Finish and then Audio Go, well BBC Audio turning into Audio Go had basically anything that was modern who and did the odd thing with classic Who, particularly with Tom Baker, you know, the Hornet's Nest, Serpent's Crest, Demon Quest, mm-hmm. uh insert rhyming title here. (laughs) Um, All of that was being done through them. So that was very much in this era. And they primarily did audio books, not audio drama, um, which I think might explain why they chose to take the format that they did. That and, you know, the tenant hadn't yet come to do Big Finish again, having, you know, gone off and played the doctor. So, yeah. Since
0: you mentioned Malcolm Hulk, it might've been fun if they had used the IMC rather than the
3: Wraith thingy yeah <laughs> um yeah another thing that about this one and, and hopefully i'll get to some positives because there are some positives here but <laughs> another thing that was uh an issue with me on this one and uh, the main reason i did a second listen is, is sometimes when i listen to these audio audio books, i'd like doing something else and i i could you know a little distracted and and I got to the end of this one and I had some some gaping holes in my like okay what happened in like this part of the story and like where did this thing come together like I got the general gist of it but like details I, I was a little light on details and I went back and let's do it a second time and I feel like the pacing of this story is so f- like frantic and especially considering that it's a, like a prose story usually you don't kind of um, in audio drama sometimes that could be an issue as things just kind of move too quickly or at least maybe that's maybe that's a thing with me and my amount of attention i'm putting into it uh when i'm listening but i feel like the pace in this is so frantic that it moves along and just it's almost hard to keep track of some of the characters and events at times and there's like these big things that feel like they should be major plot points that are kind of thrown away or dealt dealt with in like a line or two and um yeah is that just me or did you guys have any, any issues with that as well like it could just be my My attention span
1: but (laughs) no i i think it's a case in point because i remember having that same issue when i first listened to it i think in 2014 and i kind of had it again this time i think i think it's a combination of things one of which is because it's emulating this era of the show you know that was a one of the you know has been a criticism of modern who throughout its run has been that it's too frantically based Mm -hmm. and there's times when you know it ought to take a break and step back. And you know, explain things or take a bit moment to dwell on something. I think part of it is that and Darren Jones's writing, which is kind of trying to emulate it in prose, which is easier said than done, particularly because on the page you can go back, flip it through. Oh, okay, I missed this line, whatever. That's a lot harder to do with an audiobook, especially Mm -hmm. if you listen to it driving down the road or you're listening to it on your phone, iPod, whatever. I think then the finally, I think part of it going back to something you mentioned earlier, which is Catherine Tate's reading of it. Um, bless her. You know, she's she's a fine actress. We know that from Donna. She's a, you know, she did. He had a sketch show where she played numerous characters. Her reading of this is fairly flat. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's a th- what I've realized from listening to audiobooks is that what you need is the narrator to put emphasis not just to differentiate characters, but also to kind of in their reading of it to say, this is important and to kind of put that forward. And I don't know if it's because she hasn't really read a whole lot of audio books. I don't know if it's from her sort of lack of knowledge as a performer or whoever the director of this was simply didn't kind of direct that. But I think that's part of it, too. You know, and I got lost in trying to keep track of which characters were which because Tate didn't do enough to kind of differentiate them. So I think it's a number of things, which none of which I think particularly help.
0: I agree with the pacing thing. When I was listening to it this time, it really reminded me of when I saw the first episode of Netflix's Lost in Space, where they went from <laughs> crisis to crisis in such a continual. Sequence that it just started becoming funny later. That okay, you you walk into a cave and yep, they slipped right down a giant uh, steep slope. So, okay, that's right. And uh, yeah, this uh, story also had, I guess, a couple of my personal bugbears, which is that it had some really gruesome deaths Mm -hmm. and a couple of gruesome, even the sequence where she gets into <laughs> crutches yes cruxes,
1: yeah. kind of oh.
3: <laughs> like tauntaun style or something yes. I mean not literally because he was still alive but yeah <laughs> that's yeah. at least where my imagination went
0: yeah went And for if, better or yeah, worse and a quick elimination of a bunch of hapless tourists which I never really enjoy when Doctor Who does uh, stuff like that so. yep.
3: <laughs> for, for yeah for no real good reason except yeah. that like they didn't have anything else to do with the characters like <laughs>
1: Well, if you've ever had to deal with hapless tourists, you will understand. (laughs) Yeah, I I actually believe for them.
3: (laughs) I actually wrote down when I was putting some notes together that there were some like totally useless characters in this and that they're the equivalent of Star Trek red shirts. Like, you know, from the set, like they're just there to die. Like Frims and Quillene. Frims was like that. I just came up with his name. Um, Yeah, both of those characters disposed of you know, within the first 15 minutes of the story or after it gets going, and they never served any purpose besides just having someone there to kill off.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Well, they're the dos ex machina to get the the tourists there and everything else, but, you know. (laughs) Right,
3: yep. Yeah, and honestly, the the tourists um, were kind of unnecessary because the pirates came, you know, uh, Lyric and um, Grugan came... You know in a different ship on their own i mean the doctor and, and donna could have just run into them i mean this whole like tourist thing is superfluous to anything that goes on in the in the plot really um unless i'm of course missing details which is possible with this story but i feel like it was kind of there just to put some uh you know they were with the tourist group though did, did, did i miss that <laughs> i
1: was gonna say i think crux was with the tourists crux so... was with the tourist group yeah, i think grugen and, and...
3: and lyric were of their own um, I believe yeah, now, yeah. now I'm second guessing myself, but yeah, no, well, right. I know you're right. Crux this, came from the tourist group for sure.
1: But I think this actually speaks to the problem with the story is, is that it, it's frankly so flat and so unmemorable. Yeah. And we're sitting here having to try and remember details and go through TARDIS wiki.
3: I, I was seriously worried about, you know, my compre- my reading or my listening, I guess, not reading comprehension. But after my first time through, I was like, wow, I listened to that whole thing. And like, I got the gist of it, but I don't remember a whole lot of anything. I got to listen to it again. So I did. Yeah. And it did help. But I still find myself like having some question marks here and there. But
1: i don't Um, think there i think the the problem with it is there's just not a whole lot that happens of of any kind of major consequence
3: yeah well another big big one that i had is uh like this doesn't really have a villain it's kind of you know dr donna and their group of you know misfits or whatever versus you know the planet you know this dangerous planet that has uh that the planet itself isn't quote-unquote alive but has like large kind of Godlike, um, I don't know if godlike is right, but natural, um, predatory animals, including things that are similar to burrowing. Sa- I don't know if you call them sandworms because it's not a yeah. desert, but burrowing worm creatures, uh, that, doc- that Donna and uh, Crux have to come up against and you know, hit- with Assad's favorite scene with the uh stuffing I- her inside, <laughs> but yeah, um. But yeah, do you do you feel like there was a real a villain here besides the, the mining corporation that they mentioned two or three times then blow up their ships? Like
0: mm. yeah, I mean the
3: I guess Grugan is
0: kind of villainous, although they yeah. try to put him a little pathos for him at the end.
3: Um yeah, Grugan's definitely not a likable guy, but and he's certainly, you know. He, they paint a picture of him in, in the brief characterization they have of him being a space pirate and probably not a real desirable character. But other than being a little bit of a a pain to everybody there, I'm not sure he is really all that villainous the or even
0: cares enough about
3: that.
1: Yeah. yeah, and you've yeah, then got then Professor Erskine, Erskine too, for yeah. that matter. So but it's it it goes back to the problem of you know it's it's kind of the thing if you think about planet of evil or even 42 which there's shades of of both here you know the thing about that is is that there's a recognizable human villain in those you know there's i can't think of the scientist played by freddie yeager i can remember the actor but not the character um (laughs) in planet of evil who gets taken over and of course everybody in in 42 with their with their helmets and burn with me you don't have that here um so you know, was it you know, man versus nature is one of the the seven plots. Yeah. Um. And I think that they're that Darren Jones tries to do that here, but I think that the problem is is that everything is it's either it's it's the problem of everything is both so familiar but also so alien at the same time that nothing feels particularly threatening. Yeah. You know, it's it's kind of hard to latch onto anything to kind of feel frightened of outside of the fact that you know your character's are going. I'm scared.
3: Yeah, and, and and Erskine is kind of set up to be... Well, he's the mystery of the whole piece. They're, they are searching for him. We find out that Lyric is his daughter, not actually a space pirate, who got involved with Grugan to get to Death's Deal, to find her father. There's... Like I said, it just starts spinning circles. There's so many, like, little details, and nothing's really... Uh, nothing's really, like, set in uh, stone in my head, but it's a... Uh, yeah, she's so that's kind of set as as the the crux of um getting to oh and then there's uh and then there's slaughter crystals as well so we have this this catastrophic poorly named weapon um material that can be used to make weapons um that of course the mining corporation is after and such and uh erskine of course has some of these in his uh, possession and yeah, I don't know. There's a lot going on here. None of it do I feel is particularly well dealt with. Um, I, I will say I did find the explanation of why
0: I found that thought that was uh, interesting. That's the explanation of why all the wildlife is uh, so crazy and de- dead deadly all the time. Um, yeah. So
1: it's a it's a neat eco thriller twist on the on the Doctor Who evil planet idea. Mm -hmm. Um, you know that the idea that you know it's the technology that's making everything (laughs) that's making the planet hostile which is um certain shades of um edge of darkness the great bbc thriller serial from the mid 80s which has got that kind of the same kind of element to it that the earth's starting to fight back against humanity for everything it's doing Mm -hmm. um so it's a neat idea i just i I, going to what you were saying a second ago eric i think the problem is nothing in here is particularly well articulated
3: yeah Yeah. And it's not that the prose is like horrifically poor or anything like that. It's just that I feel like there's just a lack of detail. Like things will get like, it'll get a a sentence or two of explanation. Like you mentioned, there might be a lack of emphasis as well in the performance and such, but um, I don't know. It just like, it's, it's got moments where things should, I feel like things should be either spent a little more, more time with, or maybe even in the time given should, should make, make us feel a little more of something. Um, the relationship between Lyric and her and and Erskine, um, perhaps could have been a little more interesting. You have some moments there that could have been a little dramatic, but aren't really good. So that either, that falls apart in both the writing and the performance, I believe. Um, yeah, just, I don't know. Maybe a lot, it's a lot of missed opportunities, but then again, I'm not sure the story was ever strong enough to be considered that, but, um, yeah, I don't know. It's got a lot of cool. We we touched on it a little bit, but uh, a lot of cool monsters, so like uh, worm and bug like creatures, giant worms, giant bugs. The planet itself kind of being alive and fighting back against technology. You know, slaughter crystals, which still cracks me up but that's the name of such that's, yeah. <laughs> that's a
1: thing.
0: Yeah, that's like blood diamonds. <laughs>
3: yeah.
1: <laughs> blood diamonds, slaughter crystals. You come on down, buy them yeah. all. <laughs>
3: Um. Yeah, a bunch of totally. I don't want to say totally useless characters, but on a, you know we didn't need half of the characters we're introduced to in this. And yeah, I don't know. I I, I wasn't thrilled with it, even the second time through. It uh. Yeah, it was not not my favorite thing and I actually found it to be not incredibly enjoyable to listen to which I didn't expect from uh, a piece re- read by Catherine Tate who is somebody I generally enjoy I think she's a very good actress so I've had that happen before a couple times of just just in listening to audiobooks there being somebody that I'm like ooh I, I really like them and I hear them read the audiobook and I'm like yeah that maybe audiobooks is not their thing so <laughs> it's yeah,
1: a, yeah um, per- performing yeah. and reading are two different things right, right. Yeah. And I, it, that was my big disappointment listening to this one originally and again coming back to it because, you know, sometimes you go, well, the memory cheats and it's been umpteen years is the last time I heard this and I was, I, I got about 10 minutes into it and I went, nope, the memory didn't cheat. But yeah, you think for some, yeah, Sorry. you'd think, again, you'd think somebody who comes from a sketch show and a comedy background could figure out how to do this slightly better than, than she did. I, and I don't know if that's necessarily a fault of an experience or the fact that whoever directed it didn't give enough direction.
0: Yeah. Yeah. This is the sort of thing. I think that also would come down to the director. And I don't know if the fact that this was an, uh, as you described it, an enhanced, uh, or it's not like a straight audiobook reading, nor is it like a audio full, um, audio drama per se, so that may have made things a little um, difficult in terms of maybe how it was described to her about how you sh- how she should approach this.
1: Yeah. yeah. I know Jenna Coleman has said, you know, talking about the 11th Doctor one, because she read it even though Clara is not in it. Um, she described it as, an I know, apparently the convention experience as a not very pleasant experience um, to the point she wasn't sure she'd ever want to come back to do, audio, to do anything audio Doctor Who related just because of the experience of having to literally read everybody in a story, basically. So, you know, it's, it's the reason I don't hold my breath with it, but, you know, it's, you know, the thing is you can make this format work because that's the Big finished Lost stories for those first for the first three doctors are this format. Um, and again, it was a Big Finish co-production, so I, I don't know really where it fell down at. And John Ainsworth, who, at least according to TARDIS Wiki, directed this, is an experienced writer-director at Big Finish, so yeah. who knows? I wonder if
3: they um, got it a little bit over their head doing 11 of these things and didn't have the ample amount of time and energy to put into them and kind of i would i would never accuse somebody you know a talented director and talented cast of of phoning anything in i think it's more along the lines of you know working within the means of the time you have to do it and i wonder if it doesn't fall into that because it just it it feels like perhaps they're you know not giving it an ample amount of of time and you know on
0: on the other hand the production i think there's nothing lacking in the production that's Sound sounds the sound mixes everything is perfectly is perfectly good so yeah Yeah. it's
3: big finish quality i would say sound effects and um, audio quality and um yeah it's really just the performance that is a little bit lacking i feel like
1: yeah and yeah this is also catherine tate's first time back playing donna or doing anything doctor who related since end of time which Mm -hmm. was at that point two or three years in the past so you know, again, I you know I think a lot of it's down to the direction, but also as we as we keep harping on about, I suspect you know the writing of this is not particularly anything to to, to phone home with either. So. Right?
3: Yeah, I mean, and she she can only do so much with it, right? <laughs> she's got to read what she's got. So
0: yeah, I guess if we come back to the writing, the other thing that's an issue is that like the doctor leaves a pretty long message for his prior self, so he could have really added a few more helpful details. In
3: it. Yeah. the doctor yeah. the doctor seems like he's being needlessly cryptic like yes. he could have just told him what's going on it would take <laughs> three extra words you know essentially and uh i don't know if there's something i'm missing like in the next story that is why the doctor needs to be so cryptic but if i remember correctly from the ninth doctor when i've heard a couple of times he's the same way like he only get he gives him like he's like giving him riddles and it's like i'm not sure that he i don't know i don't get the understanding he needs to be being that way uh <laughs>
1: yeah it all gets explained in the time machine but it's something to do with somebody at oxford creates a time machine and there's this i I can't remember if they're from the end of the universe another timeline somewhere and 11 has to go through history setting things right through his past selves like i honestly don't remember and frankly it didn't make a heck of a lot of sense like i
0: said (laughs) reading the summary of it there's like four or five paragraphs which are but when the jenna coleman's character is explaining what happened yeah and so listening to that must be is kind of like you can easily just zone out because it's like an info dump of several minutes
1: yeah it just that's my memory of it is uh i I listened to it on the way to chicago tardis um 2014 i think it was maybe 15. And it was it was one of those I was glad I was driving and having to focus on something because I probably would have zoned out because it was just, oh, and this is how this ties into this and this is how this ties into that. Oh, and that connects that with that. It's like 11 CDs to get to this.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, the light at the end was much better.
1: Well, a light at yeah. the end also wasn't 11 CDs. Yes. Um, <laughs> right,
3: right.
1: I, th- I think going back to what you were saying, Eric, I think maybe they got it over their heads. I think they, on the one hand, I, I always say reviewing stuff that it's easier to forgive overambition to underambition. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. on, the, on the other hand, you actually have to do something compelling <laughs> with the overambition. And I, I genuinely don't think both, as, both as a as an individual story in this case, but also as a larger series, that they they quite lived up to that. Yeah, yeah.
3: Um, do the the two of you have any other uh, topics, real, that off the top of your head, is something you wanted to talk about about Death's Deal? Or...
0: No, I mean I think as as we've said before, it's pretty much got a grab bag of standard Doctor Who tropes. I know it's um, nothing terrible. It's nothing. Superlative. Um I, I, yeah, I don't like that.
1: Yeah. I think if you're a big 10th Doctor Donna fan, you'll probably find something to enjoy with in this, but not being nothing against them. I, I hasten to add before people start writing in, you know, start sending <laughs> yeah. in hate mail. Um, but I think if they're if you're not terribly enamored with them, or even if you're just not a huge, you know, I how do I want to word this? I think that this is something that's really going to appeal to the diehard audience of 10th, Dr. Donna fans. I think for the rest of us, it's, it's a grab bag of elements that have been done a lot better somewhere else.
3: Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of my feelings too. In fact, to the point where, <laughs> and I don't always do this because I I mean, as you guys know, um, being on with me every month, but, um, I was interested in like what other people thought of this. So I jumped on a couple of the review sites that I check out, um, of of audio stuff and uh doctor who reviews kyle at doctor who reviews who writes a lot of the their reviews gave this thing four stars um and what i just happened to notice that and i was like okay well what what does kyle see in this that i'm that i'm missing or what does he um and yeah he actually enjoyed it quite a bit and gave it four stars said uh though the narration is sometimes a bit overly descriptive and none of the secondary characters really come to life um, in any meaningful fashion next to the spectacular characterizations of the two leads. It's really the inherent peril of the world and the return of the beloved charismatic in here with Matthew's point. Tenth Doctor and Donna who must keep Erskine alive at any cost in the backbone is that is the backbone of Death Steel. While it's difficult to necessarily say that there, there's the same sense of nostalgia for such a recent era as there is for the classic ones, it's too obvious that this is a cherished era for long time and newer fans of big fit so basically he's saying exactly that like exactly what you just said about it although he he must put himself in that category because he gave it four stars and said that he enjoyed it quite a bit um so that's one place i normally check and then um i don't know if you guys are familiar with the timescales.com um, website yep. They a review they're kind of a review aggregate people can write in and review stuff and they just like keep a running average essentially on on the uh reviews this one's getting an average of 7.1 uh based on 56 reviews so no, none of that stuff really uh is really super important to our reviewing it i was just curious because it's it's pretty rare that i i get through a piece especially get through it twice and don't really find a whole lot to enjoy in in a piece of doctor who media and unfortunately i think this is going to be one of those but like, um so i'm glad i'm glad it's got its fans out there and it's it's above it's apparently uh ranked above average among most people who didn't review it but
1: uh,
3: so anyway just thought that was. i'm glad somebody
1: loves it that's all i <laughs> yeah, can say
3: yeah. i'm always happy about that i don't, I don't really understand people that get a uh, combative about their you know oh you like it and i'm right
1: or, i'm always
3: right and whatever yeah. but yeah i'm always happy that people find enjoyment in things even if i don't so. yeah
1: i think it was somebody on gallifrey base's signature when i was active on there a while back and a signature said that somebody that somebody's least favorite doctor who story is somebody else's favorite doctor who story so mm-hmm. i I'm, I'm glad somebody yeah. enjoys this because yeah. you know that's an you know, an hour or so of my life, I'm, I'm never going to get back times two or three listens now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which makes it sound like I hated it because I, I didn't hate it. It just wasn't anything <laughs> spectacular either.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I feel the same way. And it, maybe, and sometimes I always, we always bring this up on the, on the other podcast, the video junkyard that uh sometimes something being mediocre is kind of the worst sin it can commit because it doesn't it does it's not so bad that it cements itself in your memory but it's also not so great it just kind of sits in the middle and disappears and it's kind of the worst thing you can be is is in the middle there but Mm. anyway um any final thoughts on death's deal and uh and after that if you were going to give this thing a grade uh out of uh five slaughter crystals we'll rate for this one um what would you give uh Death steel
0: oh well um as far as I guess anywhere between somewhere between three to 3.5 slaughter crystals again like I said it's it's average uh, pretty average stuff um well, maybe although then a seven out of ten though sounds like a good score so maybe I'll go with three <laughs> three slaughter crystals <laughs> okay what do you think Maggie?
1: yeah I'm well, actually, three was what I was thinking, because um, you can also for those out there who, do, who um, have public library cards, um, Hoopla here in the United States has a bunch of big finish and they have the entire run of Destiny. So I actually checked this out to listen to it because I discovered I apparently lost my download file in the great mm-hmm. hard drive crash a couple of years ago. Um, and I had to rank it out of five on there, so I'm I would agree. I'm going to give it three slaughter crystals. It's 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 not terrible. It's not spectacular, and it didn't quite live up to my expectations for it either then or now. You know, and Catherine Tate when she's playing Donna, wonderful. Uh, when she's doing the rest of it, she's basically one note, maybe two, um, and it's yeah. just. Again, I think if you're a big fan of the Tenth Doctor and Donna, if you have a lot of nostalgia for that era, which is which is a weird thing to say for something that's still comparatively recent in our in time, um, I think you'll get a lot from from it. Um, for anybody else, especially those of us who, who've heard a lot of stuff on of Doctor Who on audio, it's not really anything special, but you know, it's it's also not minuet in hell. So I. I, I <laughs> i i'm i'm damning it with faint praise and i have no problem with that
0: and you're talking about nostalgia for that period look at all those rumors that are going about about david oh, gosh, yeah oh
1: god coming
3: back <laughs>
1: <laughs> it, it, which is which in some ways i understand why people want it to happen but i also think it's the dumbest idea i've ever heard
3: yeah trying to re like capture well they you know capture lightning in a bottle a second time and bring everybody back as well and the way the rumor is reading right now coming back as different characters a different iteration of the doctor it's like this is this is terrible yes yeah (laughs) this can't be true and if it is it's i'm not i'm not going to be happy but anyway
1: yeah (laughs) i will i will tune in and watch it probably through teeth which will probably make me the equivalent of the hashtag not my doctor crowd on on twitter (laughs) but I don't think I'd ever get that upset about a TV show, but it definitely would not be my favorite. You have era. to
3: change your hashtag to not my fourteenth Doctor because you know, <laughs> yeah, but sort of like, uh, anyway, given that I Russell so. Davies has gotten
0: much more sophisticated in his storytelling since yeah. he's left Doctor Who, I like, I really would. <laughs> this doesn't yeah. sound like something he'd be.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I what I what I suspect happened, and this is utter speculation on my part. What I think has happened is. Tennant and Tate may have signed some kind of deal to do the 60th.
3: That's and I it's assume. gotten
1: through Chinese whispers. It's gotten turned into, you know, they're going to be 10th, you know, the 14th doctor and companion. Um, but going back, you know, what you just said, I saw Davy's writing is, has changed and it's evolved. And I think a lot of people currently sitting here cheering, thinking that it's going to be 2005 or 2008 all over again are going to be in for a shock. And I, I don't think it'll be long before Ian Levine and some of the other big names in the, not my doctor crowd who are currently cheering their heads off her are going to be getting their knives and pitchforks and torches out to, to go after RTD.
3: Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. He is too good of a writer to just repeat himself. Uh, he's definitely not going to do that. He's not going to go back and do a nostalgia season. It's going to be f- something fresh with new ideas, um, I I I would be shocked by all of all of this stuff. Any of this stuff comes true, I would be shocked. So, so. Um,
1: then again, the Sea Devils are coming back on screen, which I didn't think was going yeah. to happen.
3: So yeah, I that can't wait delightful. for that. Yeah, yeah, They're, they yeah. Yeah. look fantastic too. I, I love. Okay, the one thing that I've been absolutely loving about. The more the recent season and and even kind of all throughout chibnall's room but definitely flux and, and the look of the sea devils is the leaning into the vintage look of of the monsters creatures and aliens in it and uh really digging that that's probably going to end up being my favorite thing out of uh what chibnall has contributed to the show is bringing back the vintage look of all, a lot of the effects so that's mm-hmm. uh anyway um yeah so to kind of wrap this up i think uh death's deal um it's fine. I'm going to go with the 2.5 Slider Crystals. It's it's absolutely middle of the road. It's entertaining enough to not be boring. It's not too long or anything, but mm-hmm. I think the frantic pacing hurts it. I think it, uh, Catherine Tate's a little bit one note as the reader. Um, yeah, it kind of hurts me a little bit to dig at her, but I think it's true. Um, <laughs> the uh, The story also just has a bit too much going on for its own good uh it doesn't need to be so complicated they could have they could have dug into some of those core concepts without having a lot of the like uh superfluous nonsense okay. going on and um so and i think the the main thing that bugs me about it is every element of the story seems like something else that's already been done in doctor who but better like i mean just for example the pieces of like midnight uh planet of the dead those two sp uh, the planet of the dead special planet of evil from the classic series etc cetera, etc cetera, you could go on um yeah i don't know it's not bad but it's not good i think i'm just going right down the middle with that so yeah so as we do uh every time at this uh point of the episode i'll hit the uh button on our randomizer and we'll see what we're looking at next time on the police box in the junkyard podcast And uh, looks like we're going to have a little bit of a trilogy coming up next time because we're going to look at The Doctor's Meditation, The Magician's Apprentice, and The Witch's Familiar, which is the two-part beginning of the ninth series with, I'm throwing, the the prequel that was shown in the uh, theater screenings of um, Death in Heaven, uh, Dark Water, Death in Heaven, I believe, was when we first yep. saw that. Um, so that is uh, available on YouTube if you don't have the Blu-rays, which it's also on there as a special feature. But um, yeah, so Doctor's Meditation into Magician's Apprentice, and which is familiar. Which all of these are episodes that I remember just really, really enjoying. But I'm not sure I've rewatched, so I'm looking forward to that quite a bit.
0: Never seen the Doctor's Meditation, so oh, okay, yeah, <laughs>
3: yes. it's, yeah. It's it's typical of kind of the minisodes, but it's right. it's amusing. Yes. The <laughs> it's ones that stick yeah. by me
1: yeah it's 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 a fun little thing and they they showed it at the end of the, as as he said they showed it at the end of the screening when they did the 3d cinema screening of um mm-hmm. the series 8 finale so that was it's a it, you're in for a little bit of a treat i think asad yeah, yeah, yeah. i agree I and
0: mean, then this, this new moffat too so and
3: i'm always yeah. up for that <laughs> new for me <laughs> yeah yeah um As always, if you uh, have any thoughts on Death's Deal or anything else we've covered on the show, uh, feel free to shoot us an email at policeboxpodcast at gmail.com. Connect with us via the Facebook group or um, get in touch with us on Twitter at policeboxpod and um yeah let us know your thoughts on that or anything we do here on the podcast love to hear from you as always the police box in the junkyard podcast was prepared with the help of tardis data core uh reviews from dr who reviews and the time scales were featured in this episode and um yeah as always i'd just like to thank the two of you asad and matthew for being here and uh yeah.
0: and if anybody is listening and is going to be at uh, galley uh,
3: say hi <laughs> yeah um, Assad will be representing the podcast at Gallifrey One, because, and someday maybe we'll all get to be there. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, you know, I did think of something. I'm gonna throw it at the very end here because it's worth mentioning, and I regret that I didn't at the beginning in our news portion. But uh, we recently just wrapped up the um, Minneapolis con- uh, convention console room uh, 2022 which uh, was a hybrid convention. They did uh, they did, did have an in-person um, convention, but a lot of the uh, events and things going on were also accessible um, online, and there was some online-only content. Matthew and I both were uh, lucky enough to be able to participate in a couple panels there. Um, I would encourage you to go check out our panels, of course, but any of the Console Room uh, 2022 uh, Satellite 9 um content it's uh, all up there on youtube uh, it was this last weekend but it's all been posted and is available for you to watch if you are interested um that's a great convention they're putting on up there and i really dig the uh the hybrid approach and not just because of the um you know the, the pandemic and some of the health concerns and such going on right now but i think it just allows us uh you know all of us a way to participate who are interested in participating from all around the country i wonder if it's something they might even continue doing past the time of COVID, we'll, we'll see what the future holds. But, or maybe so we can do a little nudge nudge to the folks over at our local convention to implement a few of those things. So I was pretty happy with their their hybrid or their online convention the year they did it as well. Mm-hmm. But so. anyway, um, yeah, I just wanted to throw that in there. Please go check out Console Room. Um, and yeah, there'll be, uh, of course, be another convention next year if you're interested in in, in the Minneapolis area or interested in being there in person. Uh, so yeah that's that's all i got thanks guys and uh we'll um see you next time
1: thank you so, all? See. so long <laughs> thanks for all the fish thank
2: you for listening to the police box in the junkyard podcast a proud member of direction point a doctor who podcast network join
3: eric Asad and
2: matthew next time for another random review from the worlds of doctor who
0: everything else As
2: always sad. Send your feedback to policeboxpodcast at gmail.com and remember if you take the time to write it, we'll take the time to read it. Until next time. One
0: day, I shall come back. Yes, I shall come back. It's the end.
1: But the moment has been prepared for.
2: The Doctor Who theme was composed by Ron Grainer and arranged as Doctor Who retro theme by Neon Frontier. All rights to Doctor Who and its related materials belong to the BBC.
1: Some of this danger... Somewhere injustice. Somewhere else the tea's getting cold. Come on, Ace. We've got work to do.
3: Direction point. Direction point. A Doctor Who Podcast Network.